HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. It's Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live for the first time in a long time here on the Harris Radio Network in Bushwick. What is it? Bushwick. What are you going to say? You're not going to do it for me? Oh, what? Brooklyn! Brooklyn! On the Heritage Radio Network, <laughs> joined not as usual. Nastasia, the Hammer Lopez, is caught on a train back from the whole... No, I'm in a... No, I didn't take the train. You told me to find a good place, so ah. I'm in a crappy hotel room. What's up, crappy hotel room? Are they about to kick you out? Are you are you staying past your checkout time? I did the late checkout. Oh, what's up, late checkout? Stop, so you're leaving the hotel door open, the ho- the room to your room, <laughs> the door to your room. Oh, open. hello, Peter. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So everyone who you know, we've been gone for like a month. What they really want to hear is a bunch of inside jokes. I don't understand. Oh, they don't. Uh, yeah. So joined uh, by a phone from Harvard uh, at uh, Boston, Cambridge, actually, because uh, Harvard and Boston never the two shall touch. Uh, how you doing, Stas? Good. I'm actually at Leslie, the school next to Harvard. <laughs> what, what do you mean? Like Leslie didn't invite. So Mark Ladner was doing the uh, like the public lecture and the uh, and the uh, what's it called the uh, student lecture for the, yeah, yeah. for the, the you know the Harvard Science Cooking uh, class there. Uh, uh, Stas and I were there last week doing it uh, with a uh, Harold McGee. But um, why are you not? Sta- why is Harvard not putting up? Why are you, what are you doing at Leslie? No, I'm joking. I'm at Harvard. Oh, oh okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, how was the uh, lecture? Uh, it was good. Yeah. It was good. What was he it? got he got through all his demos. So okay. You know. this, this, by the way, another inside joke. This is like <laughs> Nastasia. You got to understand. So Nastasia likes to joke that uh, that I never make it through the demos that I intend to do, and that's just because I uh, plan more demos than I have time for in case I get to them, and then I just keep moving until I get through what I get through. That's my mo. Uh, I've done it forever, and will continue to do it until I stop sucking air into my body and breathing it back out again. Uh, <laughs> now, one last demo. Yeah. Now. Yeah. One last. Uh, so, but Stas, you know, like uh, inside jokes. You guys got to quit with the inside jokes. These. 
people no, I didn't. are listening I said, I said, on no, the internet. I, I just said, I'm so glad he made it through the demos. Uh, yeah, no, 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 you're a liar. Yeah. Anyone, who know, anyone who knows you knows you're a liar. Uh, nope. It was a dig. It was a dig. Dig. Anyway, nope. what, what was the subject of the demos? Uh, heat. Heat. What, what about pretty it? easy. Heat, heat. Anything like... Related to yeah, what? He, yeah. He used uh, the Sears all to did, did a full stake in 10 minutes by thir- turning it every 30 seconds. Uh, there was a Putanesca pasta making demo and something else. Did you do know. that just so we could say puto in front of the students? Yeah, he had to explain what it where it came from. So. Yeah, it's, it's pasta like a who I might make and eat. <laughs> yes, yeah. Pasta in the variety of a hua. I think that's it's really literally what it is, right? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the one time I get to use that accent, legit, legit. Uh, Jack, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Yeah, why don't you tell us what's been up with the Heritage Radio Network during the hiatus? Just hard at work making a new website well, here. I know, but you got to tell them about the tweeting in. They can tweet in live now in oh, case there's they... so many things. So next week it's going to launch and we'll we'll announce all the cool features, but there'll be a little chat room in the live player. Um, the website itself is completely overhauled and just... Uh, uh, it's a pleasant experience, this new website. But uh, if you're in Brooklyn or New York, we're having a big, big party next Monday, uh, the 21st, from 5 to 10 p.m. at Roberta's to celebrate the new website launch. It's free, free 99 to whoa, get whoa, in. Whoa, 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 Free? What do I get That's for free? Right. Uh, you get to come into the party for Wh- free. What's in the party? It's the back garden of Roberta's. So there's DJs. Okay. And, drinks are $20 uh, a pop. Drinks days. are $37 <laughs> per, per beer. Wow. That's how we make up the difference. Wait, wait, wait. So we're saying you get in for free, but you pay for beers, but they're not $37. They're not $37, no. We're actually asking a suggested donation, which is 10 bucks, and that'll get you a, uh, a six-point beer and a shot of tequila. Nice. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I'm old enough to actually pay the suggested admission as opposed to being that guy who's like, I suggest nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't want, you don't want to be that dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I'm almost like I had to be re- – I never actually had the cojones – to go and do that, like at the at the Met, so I would always just walk outside for a half an hour, looking down at the ground to find someone who had dropped their button on the way out to go in, <laughs> so I wouldn't have to be like, uh, I don't pay nothing. You know what I mean? Oh, that's man. Not, you know, because then the look. You ever the oh, look? Oh, they give you the look. Yeah, you've seen the look. Oh yeah. As a museum uh, person myself, which we'll get to in a minute, you know, I know the look. I'm familiar with it. Um, it's not a good look. Not a good look. So next week, I guess not this week, next week, here's what you can do. Let's say you're one of these people who's listening to the, the, the broadcast here, and you happen to be listening Well, it's live, but you can't call in. I don't know. Maybe you're at work. Maybe you're goofing off. You can't call. Whatever. Elliot. Uh, not calling you out. But, uh, you know, you can tweet your stuff in, and we can respond to it live on the air. Right? Right, Jack? And Jack will be That's monitoring right. it. Yep. Right? Uh, or some combination of uh, uh, Jack uh, Stasia. That's like the combination of you two. So I'll have to match that up to Jack Stasia. We'll look and then we can uh, interact without you having to necessarily call in. Although, please still call in if you can. Yes. Uh, and keep it to one question per call. Wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Jack's the hammer. Yeah. We really should just mash you two together. You'd be like superhero <laughs> if there was like a combination like Jack Stasia. What do you think? Yeah. It's the jackhammer. Yeah. Oh! Oh, oh my God! Oh, it's so strong! <laughs> oh my goodness, it's so strong, so strong. Uh, all right. Well, to, uh, you know, I have so much. I'm, like the thing is, is like, uh, I'll tell you what. We'll answer some questions, and then we'll go back to like because we we've done so much in the month uh, that you guys have been gone. But the thing to, to discuss first is I have with me. Uh, oh, by the way, call in your questions to seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. That's seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. 
here for the next, I don't know, half hour or so. Uh, got with me Peter Kim. Peter Kim, everyone. You got the fake clap laugh, uh, clap track? Oh, <laughs> Peter Kim from the Museum of Food and Drink. What are you now, the executive director? Yeah, something like that. What it, like, the title changes every week. Yeah, like what it is was it, the Galactic Emperor before? Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we don't yet have a fully operational <laughs> battle station. Fully operational battle station. Uh, so we can't. You can't be strike the, me down. <laughs> I wish we had that much money. But why don't you yeah. tell them what's going on? Exciting, uh, exciting news in the world of the Museum of Food and Drink. Well, Fully. we are about to have a fully operational museum gallery. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is something obviously we've been really. Looking forward to doing since we started working on MoFad, uh, really in earnest, I guess. Uh, well, you started really four years ago, uh, getting a space finally um, to be able to put on our first uh, brick-and-mortar exhibition. And so, yeah, I mean, you guys might have seen the news in the New York Times last week, but uh, we're opening October 28th. We've got a 5,000-square-foot converted warehouse in Williamsburg and uh, doing an exhibition on the flavor industry, which is... You know, a pretty crazy, a pretty crazy story to tell. It's something where you know I've been surprised actually getting to know it. Uh, you know, these these flavorists, they really uh, pretty much every time you're eating, uh, there's there's something that they've done to to tweak your food, and it's a twenty five billion dollar industry, but nobody really ever stops to think about that, and so. But think about like the thing I like to think about is like is twenty five billion dollars is a drop in the bucket if you yeah. think I mean think about what percentage of like what percentage of the foods that we eat have some sort of what we call like flavoring system you know what I mean Hey Stas yeah. can you crumple more paper next to the phone please yeah. uh, like uh, what what things have a I was joking. I have like a flavor system in them, right? It could be our patient caller who's waiting to ask oh, the really? question. Oh, All right, we'll talk about the flavor industry in a second. Caller, you are on the air. Hi, Dave. Congrats on the museum. That sounds great. Oh, thanks. Uh, I have a question. I know that um, I think I've heard you say that you used to be pretty into home brewing. Oh yeah, well um, a while ago, a long while ago, before. So Dax, my youngest son, is ten now, and I stopped the minute he was born because uh, you know, like the mess was just so intense that um, you know I was getting in. It would not have been good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'm just kind of starting out with myself. So I was just wondering, like, what kind of stuff you were into, and uh, if you have any kind of you know New York City apartments type tips or anything yeah okay so let me ask you this what methods do you have like what's your stove like um crappy four burner okay like like the wimp like standard wimpy new york city like been there for like 40 years gas burner like 67 years but yeah no well you you might get lucky if you get old enough you might get lucky but probably not okay so your first issue is going to be it's going to take a while to get the 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 you know the the wart down to where you want it to be. So I would, I mean, what I did was I I limited myself to five gallon uh, kind of uh, batches, right? Uh, right? I I did all grain because I mean, please, I did all grain. You know what I mean? I started with corny kegs because I had a bunch of corny kegs around, which meant I actually did a batch, uh, you know, a batch size smaller than five. I was doing like four or something like that, and. Um, uh, you know, like most people, when they start, I was interested. Never really got past like super high OG 
uh, I, didn't, I wasn't like hyper bitter, but I was like pretty high OG, uh, like very carbonated stuff that I, I force carbonated um, afterwards. Um, you know, I pretty much was able to use the only thing that I had to get that I didn't have at the time was the uh, was the mill, the the you know to do the uh, to you know coarsely uh, grind up the um, the grains because I had already a turkey fryer, right? Uh, even though you can't use that in the city, in those pots. I know there's people who hate aluminum, whatever, and, you know. And, Whatever. If you're one of those people, then don't use it. You know, don't ask me. You ask me. So I'm telling you, I use the uh, uh, giant like aluminum um, turkey fryer pots, and those suckers hold. I gotta remember. I gotta look back. I think they hold roughly six gallons. So you can you can put a good amount in and still uh, uh, you know bo- boil down um, a bit. Uh, you're gonna need. Uh, I'm assuming you're gonna you're not investing in any like recirculated mash stuff right away. So you're probably right. Uh, no, but actually, I don't know. I do have a circulator, so is there any way not to completely ruin it or um, just kind of like holding a temperature for a mash with that? You know, it's been so long since uh, it's been so long since uh, since I've done it that uh, you know I didn't have a circulator at the time. I considered starting up again when I did have a circulator. So I was looking at doing a recirculated mash even before they had. Uh, circulators, but I just never, I never got into it. I was just doing stuff based on the old, you know, choose your strike temperature and then, you know, bring it up and then you can, you know, adjust the temperature by, you know, uh, in a got cooler. I did the old traditional kind of got cooler, you know, five gallon got cooler uh, one. I don't know if they still call it that, but you know, the big five gallon igloos that everyone uses. Yes. That, yes. Yeah, that's what I used. That's I, that's the other thing I had to buy. Um, you know, I don't know what the issue because it's been so long since I've researched it on um, kind of uh, what the effects of uh, like positive or negative of having that much uh, oxygen flow through if you're going to use a circulator to get it going. You know, whereas the old systems, eh, I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, maybe it'd be good, maybe it'd be bad. It's been. So, I, mean, I haven't even like I, I haven't even put the flow chart of how to do it in my mind as something I planned on doing in years and years. You know what I mean? Like ten years. Um, but I would definitely start. Um, I would definitely start with the, the good old-fashioned uh, got cooler uh, technique. Uh, corny kegs are a good place to start because uh, it's easy to get the stuff in and out of them, although uh, I, I had to cheat. I opened it up and cut the tubing down so that I could rack better. You know what I mean? But Or just buy a carboy. I just didn't, ha- I, I didn't have a lot of room in my apartment. You know, corny kegs are very, like, uh, space-efficient. Uh, you know what I mean? Because they're relatively thin. They're tall, but they're relatively thin, and they fit in my cabinets. And so, like, I could do everything in a corny keg. Although I know most people are gonna think I'm a jerk for doing my primary in a in a corny keg. I never tried doing uh, the primary in uh, five gallon buckets. I know a lot of people enjoy the, the the bucket fermentation. I've never, I just never never done it. But the good thing about the corny was I had two cornies, one for my primary, and then I would rack over into the other guy, and then I would force carbonate that guy, and I, it was on tap right away from the get-go so i never bottled i just kept a sucker on tap you know what i mean and i wasn't taking it anywhere i was just drinking it in my house and so that was a good kind of a a good kind of a a, a solution i mean i don't know is that is helpful or no yeah absolutely i was just kind of interested in hearing your background with it more than anything yeah i mean uh, look i mean i don't know if, if you're like me you're going to want to go obviously you're going to want to go all grain because otherwise why would you do it you're going to want to control as many of the aspects as you can if i'd stayed yeah i'm, yeah. I'm already there yeah if, if, if i had stayed in it even another six months i would have attempted to malt 
You know what I mean? And and yeah. probably another six months after that. I think it, it, before I would have attacked the uh, recirculating mash, I would have attacked the malt. And then probably after the malt, I would attack the mash. And then I would inv- – the problem is you only have your apartment space. So everything has to pack away. Everything has to be closet-friendly. Can you – there used to be an outfit out of Ohio that made really nice fermenters out of Sankey kegs. Um, and like they made things that you could kind of repurpose as fermenters and boiling things, and like that was kind of the, the next step up, and that's what I would have done if I'd stayed in it for another like year, year and a half, because they can kind of fit in a closet. You have to throw a bunch of stuff away and mash all of your like get rid of all of your stuff so you can put it in a closet. Oh, the other thing I did, uh, I put a temperature control on it. I uh, I put uh, my cold water system uh, through a solenoid with a temperature control so that I could control the temperature of the fermentation, assuming that I wanted to drop it low because my house was always above kind of the ideal temperature at that time, even for the uh, ALE strains that I was using. So so anyway, there you have it. Hope, hope that's helpful. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, cool. Um, all right, so Peter. Uh, no. Back on the, you want to get, you want to first of all give a, sh- you want to give a shout out to some of the people that help help with the museum. Yeah, yeah hold on, but you're you're actually you're, you should give the shout out really. Well, no, you're here, you're the museum. Uh, we'll both give the shout out. Give the shout out. Yeah, yeah. Give me the well, give me. The, here's the so here's. Well, yeah. why don't you give me my phone that had the? Uh, no, thing. that was actually the wrong list. Those are people who didn't want the shout outs. Uh, <laughs> who said they didn't want to be mentioned? Good but job. This is the list. <laughs> That's why they're in red. Below the red. Below the red. So, so just so you know, like I was about to give a shout out specifically only to those people <laughs> who asked to not be mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> She's just trying to throw monkey wrench in things. Yeah, so we're just going to give to the uh, to the yes. Now, now these are people that have helped us in various ways. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Bill Amata, super thanks to Bill. He's actually on our board now. You wanted to say a little bit? Yeah, Bill's awesome. He's he runs uh, IW Group. It's advertising firm focuses on uh, minority demographics. Yeah, awesome yeah. guy, good really man. Nice. Yeah, he yeah. got me into Vice President Biden's house, so I'll take that. And uh, Peter, like, who is like you know the the joke master general, made a box of cereal with Biden's face on it called Cheery Joes. Yeah, he liked yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he did. He, did he give you a bear hug? <laughs> did he squeeze the life out of you he while did he was give holding? Me, show me those pearly whites. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Uh, uh, Harold McGee, uh, you guys, anyone who listens to this show doesn't know Harold McGee. Is just go look it up. Just like drop, turn off the thing, go on the other section of the internet and look up Harold McGee. Uh, he's been helping us out a lot with uh, kind of ideas and just you know in general. Plus, also goes by MC Gee. That's his stage name. Uh, yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah Marsh. Yeah, yep. you're, 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 I'm going to bring these people out, and you're going to describe yeah, yeah. what's going no, on. Also, and me, you know, great supporter. Yeah, Sam Tigan. Yeah, he hooked us up with some great uh, fabricators too, and uh, he's been yeah awesome. Yeah, uh, Ryan, whose last name I can't pronounce, so he goes by like Mr. Lion Dandelion, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, Chetty Arwardana, man, yeah, London he, bartender, well known. Uh, Romy Vreeland. Yep, also a great supporter. Yep, Pedro Mendez. Yep, Pedro's coming from Texas. Right, John Cooper. Yeah, John's an Australian. Uh, yeah, awesome, awesome guy. Yep, Jen Beeler. Yep, yep. old friend from law school. Yep, Jenny Wang and the Modernist Pantry crew. Yeah, you know, that, you know that whole crew. Yep. Yeah. We just bought a bunch of stuff for our tastings from them. We used to be affiliated here at the radio program, yeah. modernistpantry.com. Yeah. They don't like us no more. I don't know. I guess they still like us. Yeah. Jack, do they not like us anymore? I mean, I can't answer that. Wow, wow. All right. I like them. 
Uh, me too. Modernistpantry.com. Remember we used to get to say that all the time? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, those anyway thanks to all those people for supporting MoFad. Uh, yeah, means a lot to us. It's a project that we're all really passionate yeah, about. Yeah, but why don't so. we tell these people who may or may not like know what the hell we're talking about, what the project yeah, is. Yeah, so we're, we're opening the world's first large-scale museum. They'll have exhibits you can eat. It's called the Museum of Food and Drink. It's a project that Dave's been working on for over 10 years, me about four years. And it's something that we think really needs to happen. Uh, and... We're actually now at an extremely important moment where we're about to open up our first 5,000 square foot space in Williamsburg uh, in about a little over a month. And we have a pretty awesome exhibition planned. Uh, the flavor industry is going to involve tastings and smellings. And, uh, you know, Dave's putting together some pretty cool exhibits for that. Yeah, Peter, this part they already heard. You got to get to the new stuff. Remember, we had What's a call right stuff? in the middle. The new What's stuff the new is what stuff? they're going to see when they get there. So, oh, yeah. like, for instance, we're going we're gonna to have... Stas is like, what the hell? So they, uh, I, 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 like, I'm just imagining your face, Stas. How far are your shoulders crammed up into your ears now? Like, what? What? Right? You're giving the big shrug. Her shoulders are above her head, right? Yeah, now. yeah. They're sure, like her, her head is like, you know, on the floor compared to where her shoulders. Are. Like, oh my God, Peter! She's giving, she's giving the fingers, not the finger, like the middle finger, the, 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 the five, the, yeah, the, you know, the, the thumb against the, the thumb against the rest of the There's fingers. There's also the, the slight head shake horizontally. <laughs> yeah, the 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 lower lip pushed up. You yeah, know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, so the the point being that uh, what are you going to see when you get there? You're going to see. Uh, well, we're allowed to t- say some of it, right? Yeah, some, but you got to keep it a little vague. The New York Times really wants to have the. Exclusive oh my god! This. You know what, know. people? This is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Back look, it's ba- look back in the day, right? It used to be the be- you know, like, well. If uh, if the New Yorker is writing about it, we don't want to write about it anymore. But like, yeah. uh, like seriously, like, like isn't you know most of the dr- drivers we have now is it re- whatever? I'm not going to get into it. The rules are the rules, people, and we can't talk. But I'll let you know this: we went to Monell uh, a while ago and saw that this uh, device they had called an olfactometer, and an olfactometer was a really stupid name because it doesn't actually meter anything. Yeah. It's not a meter of any type. What it is is it, it's a device that delivers uh, scents and. So, you know, we knew that we needed to because we're doing with the flavor industry here and the history of the flavor industry. Uh, And so we knew we had to do something where we delivered uh, scents in a way that were, you know, very interactive. But we didn't really know kind of whether these basic ideas that we wanted to do were feasible. So we went and saw it and saw one they'd whomped up. And so uh, now I'm building a bunch of these in my house, which is what I'm spending (laughs) most of my time doing now is building these tubas. Well, I call them stink tubas. Yeah. But we won't call them that at the exhibition because that's kind of yeah, gross. It's, it's kind of grown on me. Stink tuba? Yeah, yeah. Because it should be like boom, 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 boom of smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be uh, Peter has learned how to make uh, tablets. Drugs. Dr- well, oh, my God. If we were on any sort of like watch list, we were, we're totally on it now. We have tableting machines. Yeah, powders, like powders galore. Yeah. And the stink removers. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, we have like all we have like we've been buying so much stuff that could get us on a DEA or any sort of like terror watch list to, for this uh, exhibition. <laughs> but it's it's going to be good. Uh, it's a little, little family friendly exhibition, folks. Yeah, little uh, little preview. The reason the flavor industry is interesting is we're only the exhibition itself is only going to be about what eighteen hundred square feet or something like that. Yeah, two thousand, a little over two thousand. Two thousand square yeah. feet. So we needed to choose something that we could do in a fairly small amount of space uh, that addressed something important to the museum. Now, everything the museum deals with is going to be. Um, not just uh, science, which I'm interested in, but uh, history, uh, culture, um, economics, economics, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the environment to to a certain extent, and so um, the kind of 
rise of the flavor industry over the last 100 years as an historical fact, it was really predicated on this one simple idea that uh, molecules that molecules are food, uh, you know, are flavors and tastes, uh, and that a flavor and taste is really nothing but a specific uh, molecule. Now, how it's presented to you is different, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but really, you know, there's kind of this cor- correspondence between them, and that kind of unhinging of uh, flavors and aromas uh, and tastes from uh, the actual substance of the food uh, is kind of what allowed the flavor industry to rise and become a dominant force in our kind of in, in, in our food now for you know for good or for ill and so you know we're not you know it's not an expose it's more just an explanation of kind of how this came to be uh, how it works how uh, you know how your uh, sensory equipment um, works and we're going to highlight a couple of you know interesting historical examples Mo- you know MSG and we, we're not going to go super rant on MSG the way that I would if we were doing it on this uh, mm. on the radio program yeah Right. Yeah, but we're still going to clear up, you know, uh, debunk some of the stuff that has, uh, you know, some of the, the more uh, the, the whacker claims around MSG, for lack of better words. Yeah, you're going to spray some. Uh, you're going to spray some uh, scientific Febreze all over, uh, <laughs> yeah. all over that. Uh, but the uh, also. Um, uh, vanilla. Vanilla is yeah. super interesting uh, because it was one of the early flavors uh, that was uh, synthesized and it has a very interesting kind of economic uh, history. So look for that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else? Oh, go to – so yeah, if you want to learn more about the exhibition and about the space we're opening up in October, lab.mofad.org. That's lab.mofad.org. And our ticket presale is going to start September 28th. 28th? So yeah, it should go on our mailing list if you're not on it already. And you'll get the announcement. Oh yeah. Okay. Listen. So for I have like I, the entire season of my garden and everything is we totally missed. So I don't even know what I've talked about and what what I haven't. Uh, but I have this interesting spice. I know you've tasted it before. Be tasted again, Jack. You want to taste this spice? I absolutely do. All right. So uh, I can't actually. Use, this one's dried. I can't use this at the bar because it's not you know grass. It's not generally recognized as safe just because it's not part of the list. But it has been used for a long time. So t- this comes off of a tree in my uh, in my backyard called uh, Lindera benzoin, the spice bush. Okay. Uh, that's actually extremely common, and it was uh, the settlers used this bush to kind of determine whether or not you had if the bush grew there, they knew that your ground was fruitful. Right. So let's taste this here. Just chew on it. It kind of looks like a poo pellet, by the way. It does. Ooh. Oh, it, it is a poop pellet. No, uh, but it has like a flavor of like a kind of pink peppercorn. Yeah, pink peppercorn, mm-hmm. exactly. And like a, a little bit of a, a juniper, kind of a resinousy uh, note to it. Oh, wow. Isn't that fantastic? That good, I man. love it. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. That crab grows in my backyard. I want to cut it out. I was worried that it was going to be all fibrous. No, it's Where delicious, it right? Down, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, look, like, uh, unfortunately, I'm not there this week, and I hope I picked, uh, like, a, a small amount. I'm wow. going to go back and try to pick a whole Ziploc bag. My garden is full of it, and if, uh, you know, I'm going to try to get as much as I can and keep it. I mean, but I could go sweet. I could go savory. It's like a pink peppercorn. It could go sweet. Oh, could yeah. go savory. It's really good. Yeah. Lindera Benzwin. Uh, and so, the, you know, so what I do is, is in, you know, uh, I just look around. I'm like, what do we got? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Another one I was I was kind of lucky like so we had these things called uh uh wow. called uh, may apples which is an american kind of mandrake and uh poisonous poisonous but but cool leaves cool leaves but poisonous uh le- the leaves poisonous roots poisonous unripe fruit poisonous uh and but i've been waiting for these things to ripen up i had all these fruits right and i was like man my man not quite ready to pick i leave for a week i come back the deer ate them all Uh. all 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 so i go through all these like things all except for three i found three ones that were too crappy for the deer even to bother with and i picked them off 
and I swear to God, I am glad the deer ate them all because if they were even mildly poisonous, I would be dead right now because of how many I would have eaten. I would have eaten so many. <laughs> it's unclear whether the seeds are poisonous, but the pulp is like – because you know what the thing is is that most temperate fruits, right? Most – and you know, I'm here in New York, in Connecticut, temperate land, right? Most temperate fruits have that kind of temperate fruity flavor, you know? You got your apples. You got your pears. You know, you got your cherries, which I can't have, bastards. You got your plums. You got – most of these things like – like, they, like none of them taste tropical. Do you know what I'm saying when I yeah, say no, there's tropical? A, there's a tropical flavor, yeah. Yeah, these taste sure. tropical. Yeah, whoa, nice. Yeah, these taste like, uh, they have a bit of the, you know, like the real, like, fruity, tropical sour guavas, mm. those little guys. Yeah. Like, they have, like, some of that going, but they just taste amazingly tropical. Yeah. I would I would have eaten myself to death on those. Are you, are you saying that you're generally more of a fan of tropical fruits over temperate fruits? No, I love I love both. It's just you're not used to having a local fruit that in, in, yeah. in my area that has that kind of tropical note to it. And yeah. so when you did, you would just gorge until you died. Yeah, yeah. You know? I wonder what the tropical note is. Right? I mean, I'm sure that somebody in the flavor industry could help us out with it. Like, what is, you know what I mean? Like, what's the common thread between a papaya, banana, a mango, guava? That's yeah, a great I mean, they, question. I mean, like, obviously we have, like, a sort of understanding that those fruits come from the same region, or, you know, at least the, you know, the same band around the world, but... Right, but they're in widely variant... Yeah. yeah wi- widely, so like widely what, variant What family. is it about them that there's, like, you feel like there should be a common thread between all those fruits? Hey, let's sit on that for one second, take a very, very short break, and come right back. All righty. Hello out there, it's Steve Jenkins, I'm with Fairway Markets White Leghorn, Red Wattle, Bourbon Red, Navajo Churro Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a Fairway butcher counter or any other counter today But before the rise of factory farming, you would have And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's Heritage Turkey, Japanese Steaks, Berkshire Pork, or Navajo Churro Lamb Chops is the righteous kind. From healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more information. Here's what Heritage Radio Network would sound like without donations. It's not as good as the show you were just listening to, is it? Give us a few bucks. Help keep us running. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Click the Donate tab on the top right corner. Yeah, and for uh, every uh, donation you send, uh, Steve Jenkins will shoot a Navajo churro in the face. (laughs) (laughs) In order to save it. Nice. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, Stas, you love that one. Stas loves. That I one. love it. Love it. <laughs> hey, people! You know, like uh, Soupy Sales got fired for saying stuff like that. We won't actually shoot a right, uh, another yeah. <laughs> churro in the face for every time you donate. You know what I'm saying? Not so, in the face, at least. Well, so if you want to save it, you know, sometimes you got to do the hard thing, Jack. Mm-hmm. Yep. To save it. All right. Uh, okay, uh, let's get to some. Uh, let's get to some write-ins since it's been quite a while. 
Uh, you your want ten minute warning right here. Oh, jeez, Louise. Well, you know. All right. Uh, Okay, I'll, I'll get to some MDF first. Hey, Dave, Anastasia, and the team. I have a question about making biltong curing box. A biltong curing box out of MDF biltong. You know what biltong is, yeah? Nope. Is that freaking like uh, dried uh, meat? It's like a jerky. No, nice. Supposedly, it's great. I've never had real. I've had, I've had, uh, I've had the fake. As they say, gankers can get the fake. You can get the real from the biltong man. But I like. Uh, I've never had the real one, unfortunately. Anyways. Uh, so it's a box to make this uh, dried, uh, dried South African meat in. I have a question about making a biltong curing box out of MDF. I just started – by the way, well, well, the whole question is about the MDF. MDF stands for Medium Density Fiber Board. You familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I just started drawing up plans to make a large uh, cabinet out of MDF when a couple of scaremongers – Scaremongers uh, started uh, waving their arms at me about formaldehyde degassing from the MDF and poisoning the meat. I looked into the particular wood I will be using, and it has a formaldehyde rating of E0, which is the lowest. Uh, my question is, have the scaremongers fooled me, or should I actually consider changing construction materials? This all sounds a bit crazy to me because if you Google uh, image search biltong box, uh, it sounds like it's going to be something like not like safe for work, right? Biltong box. 99% of them are made out of unsealed MDF. And two, most modern food uh, pantries are made out of MDF and often have food sitting in them for weeks slash months on end. Think potatoes, onions, pumpkins. And I've never heard of this being an issue. The biltong box will be at a max temperature of 35 degrees Celsius, and the meat there will be uh, be there for no longer than uh, six days. 35C, what is that? That's like a hundred... 35C? It's like 90s, 90s. 90s? Yeah. Yeah, I know it's not super, super hot because I know the Western Desert lives and breathes at 45 degrees. I think of like 40 and up as being extremely hot. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, the meat will be in there no longer than six days. Thanks for the awesome work you do. Uh, keep it up. Regard, Rory Merns. Uh, okay, look. Here's a couple of things. I think you're right. There's a low temperature. Most of the biltong boxes I've seen have a, a light bulb in the in the bottom uh, to provide uh, you know the re- relative heating. Uh, so a biltong box, uh, for those of you that Google it, is basically a, a box that you put to hang the meat in with a bunch of air vent holes with uh, like some stuff over it to stop flies and whatnot from getting in, and then a source to cause kind of convection and to keep it kind of relatively dry and moving. And that convective source is usually a, a, like a light bulb that they put in the bottom. So the question is, is whether or not uh, locally the MDF can heat up over that where the light bulb is and start producing some uh, some nastiness. I, you know, I wouldn't worry about it too much if you can't smell it, but I will say this: I hate, 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 hate MDF. I hate MDF. MDF is the worst. I freaking hate it. I hate picking it up. I hate buying it. I hate cutting it. I hate it. I hate it so much. Here's some other things. Here's some things, some good things about MDF. Sucker's cheap. Yeah. Right? Good for prototyping. Yeah, yeah. It, it cuts well, right? It glues and staples well, right? It's relatively uniform. Here's what sucks. Sucks. Suckety sucks about MDF. It is heavy as a mother. Even the lighter MDF is heavy as a mother. Secondly, MDF chips on the edges, right? Thirdly, if you try to screw into the edge of MDF later for whatever reason, you're screwed because it's going to rip out. Third, should you rip out MDF, you have to put a bunch of you know, stuff on it to get a screw to hold it again because it's not going to hold again because it's MDF. Fourth, God forbid if you have unsealed MDF and you get water on the edge of it because it's going to soak up that water like a freaking sponge and flare out like a lunatic. Third, if it's big, it's going to bow over time because the sucker doesn't hold its dimensions. I just hate it. I hate everything about it. I mean it is cheaper, right? Uh, but I just detest it. I just, I just think it's an execrable 
nasty thing unless you're going to paint it. It holds paint really, really well. You know what I mean? Uh, and, you know, I had my uh, last cabinets, my last apartment made out of the particle board, and I screamed and yelled, and I was going to pay the upcharge for the, for the Baltic just because I hate this stuff so much. And we didn't, and I re- regretted it for years because after a while, this stuff sags. It just doesn't hold its dimensions the way real plywood does. I just detest it. But I think you're probably safe, especially at those low temperatures. Wait, so how do you feel about MDF, Dave? Love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm unclear. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't clear enough on my feelings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, okay. Um, oh, my God. What am I going to get to? Okay. I was try- uh, this is from uh, uh, Liz Myers. Or Liza. I think it's Liza, Liza Myers. Liza. I was trying to make an agar fluid gel out of maple syrup because I love the flavor of maple syrup but find its consistency is too liquid. Uh, I want the good flavor of real maple syrup with the texture of fake maple syrup. I tried to set the syrup by boiling and adding 2% agar. It kind of set into a stickyish, jellyish thing, and that was okay, but the texture of the syrup uh, got a little crystallized E. I was wondering if there was a better way to do this uh, or why the maple syrup crystallized. Well, first of all, maple syrup is uh, 66% sugar by uh by weight, right? So it's a lot, like a lot of it, a lot of it is uh, sugar. And if you add basically anything other than uh, liquid to it, uh, if you remove any liquid from it at all, it's going to start crystallizing because you've taken the water away from the sugar, right? So, you know, because 66 on the maple syrup is about the limit where you can not have crystallization. It's kind of, I guess, why they take it there. Um, Honey can go a big, uh, a good bit uh, farther up because it's completely inverted. The sugar is completely inverted, uh, almost completely inverted. Uh, so you know, so it doesn't crystallize as readily. So sugar, you can, I mean, honey, you can take up to a bricks of like uh, eighty-two. So what I would do, were I you, is I would make a uh, a thickener, like a very thick thickener, and with pure water, and then just cut your maple syrup with that thickener slightly. You know what I mean? And then what that'll do is, is it'll just thicken up the the, the water that you have, but it's not going to uh, cause any kind of crystallization to happen. The fake syrups are made with uh, like sugar, and uh, I think they think they use microcrystalline and cellulose uh, and stuff like that. The other thing you could do, if you want to set it solid um, as a rock without anything changing it, you could probably uh, you want to make and you want to use agar. You'll still have to dilute it, but what you'll do is you'll hydrate the agar in pure water, and then you'll add the maple syrup to it, making sure that the temperature of the maple syrup is above about 100 degrees, and then as the temperature drops, it will, uh, it will form a solid. Uh, the other thing you could do is you could make a poorly uh, – you could do a poorly set pectin, especially because you're not using acid. You can use um, – one of the pectins that can set uh, in, without the presence of, uh, of uh, acid, and you could probably do uh, some amount of thickening that way. A uh, bunch of different um, things, but straight agar isn't going uh, isn't gonna to help you out, right? Is that a good answer? No? How much more time I got, Jackety Jack? A few minutes here. All right, okay. All right listen. Two. Two. Jeez. Helen, I'm going to get to your chickpeas uh, on, the ne- on the next week. Um, okay. I do catering. This is from uh, Noya. I do catering for bar and bat mitzvahs. I'd like to boil large quantities of fries at a time uh, with the temperature staying below 80 Celsius. I don't know why you necessarily want the temperature to stay below 80 Celsius unless you're trying to do that starch kind of set trick that uh, Steingarten does with the uh, mashed potatoes. Some people do it for fries too. But anyway, thus far I come up with hotel pans over burners or I could buy a stock pot induction stove. There must be a better way. Please help. Uh, 
No, yeah. Yes. Well, there there is a better way, actually. Uh, there's several. I mean, if you don't want to just get a giant pot, first of all, do you have a deep fryer? I have a deep fryer. So what I do is before I fr- – well, of course you do. You have fr- you're making french fries, right? <laughs> so like if you have a – I mean if you have a – if you're going to do a lot of them, you probably have a real fryer. So what I do is uh, at the end of the night when you filter the uh, fryer oil out, your fryer's empty now, right? Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what you do is is you use your fryer as the boil kettle for the uh, for the potatoes. Boom. So what I always do is I put my uh, water in. Uh, I then uh, salt and I boil up all the potatoes in batches in uh, in that. Spread them out on the racks to, to dry out or do whatever else I'm going to do. Then when I'm done, I drain out the water, then clean all the salt and water back out, and then it's ready to fry, ready for the first fry by the time it's coming. Super, super convenient. Fryers are super fast to heat up. They heat up in like five minutes. They're freaking awesome. That's one good way to do it. If, you have, if you're doing catering and you have a combi oven, you can just throw them out on, uh, on racks and steam them in in a, in a combi, especially if you have a combi, if you really want to stay below 80, you can because you can set it at uh, 100% humidity with uh, lower than 212, and you can do them in a combi. I've done that with a, with a lot of success. Um, anyway, but you're going to have to pre-salt. If you're going to do that, you have to like soak them in salt before or salt them or something because you're not going to get the salt penetration that way. But both of those things uh, may or may not work. Uh, let us know. Uh, and so I think Jack's going to rip me off of the freaking air in, in, in a second. So I still have to get to uh, Helen's chickpea question, and I still have to get to uh, Ken. Ken, who writes in on uh, the definition of the sandwich, right? <laughs> uh, but I, I will give you this one. I'll give I'll give you one paragraph of it on the way out, folks. And uh, remember to tune in next week. We're going to be live again with cooking issues. Uh, and he goes, I listened to the discussion. This is Ken. I listened to the discussion on the definition of sandwich. And I now feel strongly that someone ought to tell my mom that uh, she did not waste her money uh, or I did not waste my time majoring in philosophy. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Nice. All right. Cooking issues. Listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 